Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to James chapter 1. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know uh, we started working our way through James, and it's been, a, it's been a great time of fellowship. It's been a great several studies so far. But if you look at the website, you'll see uh, on the very first message that Pastor Nate taught, he pretty much opens up his message saying that the book of James is one of the most practical, easy to understand, yet difficult books to follow, to apply to your life. And it makes a lot of sense. This book's not a real, it's not a real theological giant. It's more of an ethics and Christian behavior and how we act as Christians type of a book. So it is very easy to understand, very applicable, but it's very hard to follow. And this is going to be one of those messages that's kind of hard to apply to your life to, to understand. Um, but one of the other things that Pastor Nate said in that, in that first opening video was that he prays that as we're going through the book of James, it's not that we just hear it here, but we go home and we actually we get into the Bible, we study it, we study in our groups, we fellowship, and, and we stick together. And I, I'm feeling like that's happening. I'm, I'm seeing it in the chatter, and people are you know, talking about James and uh, the things we're going through, and I think it's good. So again, this message is going to be a little, little hard-hitting, um, but that's okay, because Pastor Nate's going to follow me next week, and that's going to be a doozy. Uh, so We'll go ahead and get into it. Um, today in the scripture, we're covering again James chapter 1, verses 21, 21 through 25. And we're going to see that James is going to give us a couple of commands to do. And anytime you get a command or a directive or a task or something to do, it's never really easy or fun. Uh, but we're going to see today as we, as we go through this, if we're able to just bend our posture and bend our way and our thoughts to, to how the Lord would have us to think, then I think that's going to make it a lot easier to do what the Lord tells us to do. And then we'll also recognize that as we do what he's telling us to do, he's coming alongside us and doing it with us. So it's kind of a cool way to look at it. But one thing I want to challenge you up front while we're starting this message is I just want you to think about Christianity as a possible art form. And each of us has something to contribute to the arts. There's a work that we have to do. There's something that we need to do to be a part of, of this, this walk. And it's not that we're doing those things to get saved, but we're doing them because we are saved. And so today we're going to see three things from James. We're going to see, number one, that James is telling us to lay aside all filthiness. We're going to see him tell us to receive the word of God with meekness. And then finally, we're going to see that we need to respond to the word or we need to do what the word's telling us to do. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. I'm going to read through the verses and then we'll go ahead and uh, camp out in each verse and just see what, what we have here to, today. So James chapter 1 verse 21 says this. It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, 
The law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he is doing. God, I just pray that you would open up, open up our hearts and minds this morning to hear what it is you want to speak. And I pray, Lord, that, that I would be uh, a vessel and not speak of my own resources, but speak what, what it is that you'd have me to, to share this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this, this message, and we thank you for the fellowship we have here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you look at the very first word in James chapter 1, verse 21, it's the word therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, always put it in your mind that the word therefore means that whatever we're talking about is there for you. But the other thing that therefore is, therefore points back to something that was already mentioned. And those are the, kind of like the rule of, of translating their scriptures. Is Therefore, what we're about to read is there for you, but, but also what we've already read as a result of that, therefore do X, Y, and Z, whatever that is. But what have we covered so far? We saw in Gen- or, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, that we, uh, we have to understand that our trials, we need to count them as joy. We saw in verse 3 that the testing of our faith produces patience. We saw in verse 5, we need to ask for wisdom. We saw in verse 6, we need to stop doubting. We see in verse 9 that the poor need to glory in the exaltation of just being saved. And then we saw in verse 10 that the rich need to, to bring themselves down a little bit. We saw in verses 13 through 15 that we need to persevere and we need victory in our trials and in our temptations and those struggles. Verse 18, I'm sorry, verse 17, we saw that who the father of lights is. Verse 18, we see who we are, the first fruits of his creatures. Verses 19 through 20, last week, we saw that we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak. So because of that list that I just went through, because of that Therefore, verse 21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This word rampant wickedness, it's an easy one to translate and to understand. It points back to what uh, Josh Brimmer talked about last week, this this anger, this self-righteous, almost like an inner violence that we have sometimes. Well, I have like two or three times a day driving in my car. (laughs) But that type of anger, that's wickedness. And therefore, we need to put all of that away. But this word filthiness, that's a tricky one. Because our brains are like filthy. Like, what is filthy? So I read eight commentaries just to try and understand what this filthiness that I'm going to stand up here and tell you guys, we've got to lay this filthy thing down, whatever it is. I don't know what it means. Eight commentaries, and they all said the same thing. Moral defilement. I was like, awesome. And I remember talking to one of my buddies who I would consider a theologian. I said, man, what do you think the word filthiness means? And he said, it's moral defilement. (laughs) I was like, why has everybody got the same exact answer? It's moral defilement. So what is moral defilement? Well, in light of this scripture from studying, what what I've come to kind of understand is moral defilement is it's when we allow evil in our hearts to dictate our actions and our thoughts. So this filthiness, this moral defilement is when we allow evil inside our heart to dictate our actions and our thoughts. James is telling us we got to lay 
all of that away. We've got to put that aside. We've got to lay that aside. In Matthew 5, 19 through 20, Jesus lays it all out. Jesus says, this is, this is it, right? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And these are the things that defile you. So those are, when you hear this word filth, when you lay that filth aside, that's, that is what Jesus is talking about, the things that are in the heart, this evil that's in our heart that causes us to act and to think a certain way. Now, when Mindy and I first got saved, we really thought it would be cute to get matching Christian tattoos. <laughs> and so the Bible verse that we wanted to get was 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Behold, all creatures in Christ are new. They're a new creation. And old things have passed away and everything is new. And we're like, man, this is awesome. We're coming out of like a, a drug culture and a, a, a culture of not following Jesus. And now we're saved. And that's us, man. Our whole life is new. All that stuff is pushed to the side. And it's so cool because, you know, we, it was such a cute thing to do. Just picture Mindy and I in our 20s. And, and we're going to the tattoo shop and I pull out my little army Gideon's Bible, that little tiny one. And, and I just want to make sure, you know, this is a, a tattoo is a lifetime thing. And so I pull out the, the Bible and I, I look up here and it says 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I look over here and I say, oh yeah, there's 17. It was actually 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is what we wanted to get. We went in the tattoo shop. We got the wrong tattoo on our, our legs. <laughs> And so we're driving home, and Mindy, if you know Mindy, you know she's like a researcher. She pulls out her Bible, her Bible, and she's like, that is a weird verse. <laughs> I mean, it was a different tone than that, but it was like a letdown. And it was such a weird verse that we got tattooed on our legs. But what it was was 2 Corinthians six seventeen, actually says, come out from among them separate yourself from among them and touch not the unclean thing. Now, Paul, in that letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about uh, things that are sacrificed to idols and things that are dedicated to idols. And, and James here, he's talking about moral defilement. But I find it interesting that he's talking about the same thing, talking about filthy and unclean. He's saying, separate yourselves, touch not the unclean thing. The same principle is true for what we're talking about today. We need to separate ourselves and not even touch or even think about that thing that defiles our moral conscience. We've got to lay it aside. And I would suggest one way that we can do that is every day we can, we can wake up and ask the Lord, can you just show me what I need to lay aside? Just show me what I need to put aside. And as he shows us that, we need to be prepared to actually separate ourselves from it, whatever that is. We need to be prepared. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, we can't do it in our own strength. It's not something that I can just do. Some of us can, but f for, for all intents and purposes, most of us can't. We can't just do this thing that God's telling us to do without him. But the way that we do learn how to do it is when we begin to, to, to change our posture. We change our inward posture, and now we're, we're, we're just bowing ourselves to the Lord and saying, God, will you help me lay this thing aside. And as we do that, then God comes alongside us and he helps us lay it aside. But it's interesting because the, the word all in, in, this, in this verse 
means all. <laughs> lay all filthiness aside. Lay all moral defilement. Lay all wickedness aside. But then, but then what does it say? Point number two, receive the implanted word. I want to read to you what the implanted word is uh, from Strong's Concordance. It says this, it's, it's the logos word or the logos word or the logos or the logos. If we had any real biblical scholars here, they would correct me immediately on this. It's logos, but the word logos here is what? It's a speech, it's a word, it's uttered by a living voice. It embodies a conception or an idea. It's what someone has said. It's the sayings of God. It's the decrees, the mandate, and the order of God. It's the moral precepts given by God. In the Old Testament, prophecy was given to the prophets, and this is what was declared through our thoughts and through our declaration. It's a discourse, the act of speaking, it's speech, the faculty of speech, the skill in preparing a speech. It's continuous dialogue. It's continuously speaking the instructions and the doctrines and the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's anything that's reported in speech. It's narration. It's narrative. It's a matter that's under discussion. And it uses as the respective part of our minds. The book of John denotes the Logos word as the essential word of God as Jesus Christ himself. It's the personal wisdom and the power of God in union with God and it's his minister in creation and governing of the universe. All of that is what James is telling us to meekly receive all of that. And if you are here last week, Josh talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we are filled and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And our faith says that the Holy Spirit is Jesus, is God the Father, is God the Son, is this Logos Word. So through faith, we've, we've got this engrafted, implanted Word of God inside of us that is constantly speaking to us and trying to direct us and trying to give us insight. And what James is saying here is you've got to receive that with meekness. What is meekness? It's funny that I tried to explain this to a friend of mine and she took it to a whole other level. But meekness in my definition is when I've got, I've got power or an ability. Let's just say I'm a, I'm a big special forces guy and some little tiny not special forces guy is in your face just talking and you're sizing them up. You're like, I could take you out with one punch. But I choose not to. That's, that's my power under control. It's meek. I'm meek. Not weak, but I'm meek. And that's what James is saying. We need to receive the word of God with meekness. I'm going to define the word meek through the Vines Dictionary. It's the Greek word proutes. And it says this, proutes meekness, consists not in a person's outward behavior only, nor in his relations with fellow men. Rather, it's an inwrought grace of the soul. And the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. And therefore, without disputing and resisting. See, we cannot lay that filthy thing down 
if we haven't received the implanted word, and we can't receive the implanted word if we're not receiving it with meekness, without disputing, without resisting it. Because here's what happens. I would like to say every single person in this room has either had this happen or they're going to have it happen at some point in their life. You're going to have a situation that is a hundred million, thousand billion times out of your control. You're not going to be able to control any of it. And you're going to look at this thing. But God's going to whisper something inside of your soul. He's going to whisper the solution to whatever it is that problem that you can't solve. He's going to be speaking inside of you. But if you don't have that proud taste or that meekness inside of you, you're going to hear the solution. God's going to tell you what to do, but you're going to resist it and you're going to dispute it and the solution's going to go right past you. Without meekness, we will dispute the word of God. We will dispute, we will resist whatever it is he's trying to tell us to do. But notice what happens when we don't dispute it. Look back at verse 21. It's able to save your soul. Just by doing what the Lord is telling us to do and by receiving his word with meekness, it's able to save your soul. But I thought you said we're all saved in here. This word for soul is a word that means it's the seatbed of all my emotions and my feelings and that that side of me that none of you can see. One of my pastors used to say, I'm a skin suitcase, and the real me is inside the suitcase. That's my soul. But what happens is when, we're, when we receive the word of God with meekness, then it's able to save our soul. The definition for soul by Strong's Concordance says this, the soul is a moral being that's designed for everlasting life. So when we receive the Logos word with meekness, our moral being is saved. Do you remember what we said was filth? Moral defilement. So when we receive the the word of God, the Logos word of God with faith and with meekness, that moral defilement that we just talked about, we're, we're saved from that. It's not talking about your eternity. It's just that part of you that feels yucky all the time. When you receive the word of God with meekness, that's what James is talking about. That part of you is saved. James has given us two commands here. He's telling us, number one, lay aside all the filth in your life. Number two, receive the word of God with meekness. So my question today is this. Is there anything that that Logos word of God or the Holy Spirit of God inside you is telling you to lay down? Is he asking you to put it aside? You can, you, it's not a matter of salvation, but it's a matter of your soul. Can you put this thing down? Can you lay it aside? Because we are able to lay it aside. If we can bow ourselves to the Lord 
and not dispute, not resist. Look, when, when God's speaking to you, you, you can't dispute this thing. You can't resist it. it. It's meekness. It's this power under control. I have the power to, to ignore. I have the power to obey, but it's meekness. I'm taking that power and I'm, I'm putting it down here because I'm going to submit to what God's telling me to do. And God will provide a way out. He will provide a way out of whatever that filth is that you've got to come out from. He's going to provide that way, but you've got to be able to do what? You've got to be able to bend your way to his way. Let's look at James 1.22. It says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So the way out of that moral filth, that struggle that we have, is by doing the word. Point number three, we must respond to the word. That's the whole purpose of this message is that we would just respond to the word of God. What James is saying is to do the word, to respond to the word that we've already received because of faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, when God, when God whispers something in your ear, he's telling you, man, go here, talk to this person, or don't go here, don't talk to that person. That's not, that's not your spouse. You have a choice. You can either obey or you can dispute and resist. But what's the problem with resisting? What happens when we resist? Back at verse 22. You deceive yourself. Now think about how crazy it is to to deceive yourself. You'll deceive yourself, but you're not going to deceive God. You're not going to deceive your family members or your friends. Doing the Word of God is not an option. It is is a task. It's something that we need to do. And if we don't do it, then we're deceiving ourselves. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. It says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. So he looks at himself, he goes away, and then he forgets immediately what, he's, what he looked like. See, when you know to do something and you don't do it, it's, it's like this guy that they're talking about looking in a mirror and then forgetting what he saw. I find it interesting in my life, just a little trivia knowledge, last time I taught here was in October, and I had a mirror in my text then as well. So I think it's kind of crazy the Lord's showing me something, but it's interesting that there's the mirror in this text because what happens is when we receive the Logos word with meekness, we begin to receive what God's telling us, and we're hearing it, And what is it doing? That Logos word is acting like a mirror. It begins to show us who we really are. But it also begins to show us who he really is. And the law and the word of God, it just acts like this this mirror and this teacher. The Bible calls him a guardian who in Colossians 2 and Galatians 3 is a guardian or a school teacher that points us to Christ. That's what the law does. 
And so not responding to the word of God when we, when we read the word of God and we know what God's telling us to do and we choose not to respond, James is saying here, it's almost like, it's like, it's like you get saved and then you forget that you ever were not saved. Like I'm saved, but I've already forgotten what I was saved from. I've probably told this story a gazillion times. Um, when when uh, my girls were little and we'd sit on the floor and play games and watch movies and hang out. And there was this one time I had a crusty old uh, Special Forces warrant officer as a neighbor on the other side of the fence. He's not a nice guy, but he was, he was a tough guy. Well, I used to get this weird thought in my head just randomly, like, what would happen if I'm watching TV right now, I'm on the floor with my kids and we're enjoying our time and we're we're watching this movie and, and a, a criminal kicks the door open and he starts killing everybody in this family, you know, my babies and everybody. But this crusty old special force dude jumps over the fence and he, and he comes in and, and he, takes out the, he takes out the criminal. Do you really think that I would ever forget that that man saved my life? See, Hearing and knowing and receiving the word of God and then disputing it and resisting it and not doing it. It's like getting saved and then forgetting that you were ever not saved. It's like looking in a mirror and then deceiving yourself. If you guys saw me a couple weeks ago, I had a big old beard. It'd be like me looking in the mirror, seeing a big old chicken leg stuck in my beard and then just walking out and forgetting it's on there. Like, I may deceive myself, but my kids, somebody's going to be like, hey, you, something's not right, Dad. You got something on your, your true friends are going to say something. Let's be doers of the word and not just hearers. This is an important, important text. When the Logos, word of God, or the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, or, or he's working inside of you, that, that dialogue, that speaking, that teaching, that narration, whatever it is, and he's telling you something. Man, we begin to, to receive that with meekness, and then what? Once we receive it with meekness, man, our posture needs to change. The inward posture of who you are, it just needs to change. Let's look at James one twenty five. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he's doing. Well, what is the perfect law? Well, he says right here, he who looks into the perfect law. I loved uh, last service because some of my scholarly friends were sitting in there and they made sure in the, in the lobby I found out what the, the law was. This, this law of liberty. But I don't have enough time to commit it to memory. So what I am going to do is ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans chapter 8, I'll say this a, a million times. If, if you ever have one chapter to read, you read Romans 8. If you're going to prison, you rip that page out of your Bible, you put it in your pocket, you memorize it, you eat it, you just, Romans 8 has the answers for just about everything in our, our life. But Romans 8, 1 through verse 8 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. 
For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is what? It's life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, what is the perfect law that's mentioned here? It's this law of the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. It's not the law that locks us up. It's the law of freedom in Jesus. And when we're walking in that freedom, Christ has set us to a point where we don't have to pay the penalty of death. It means that we are free to follow his guiding and his directing and his leading, or we're free to not. We shouldn't do that, but we're free in Christ to walk with him. And walking in the Spirit ultimately means that we're not going to resist that Logos word that's already implanted inside of us. It's a nugget for second service. This law... This walking in the Spirit makes you a meekling, not a weakling. <laughs> so as you hear the Logos word, and as you begin to respond to the word, I want you to look back and see this, right? Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no here who forgets, but a doer who acts. Now the Greek word for this doer is poetis where we get our word poet. Are you and I responding to what God's telling us to do? Are we in the act of actually responding to the word of God, to the Logos word of God, as he's telling us what to do? To, to, to do? If you were here last week, you heard Josh Brimmer talk about, we have to produce righteousness. That's, a, that's tricky. But Josh wasn't brave enough to go out and speak all the Greek words, even though he knows Greek and I don't. But his Greek word was organizomai. And that means to, to work. Well, our word in here is the English word who acts, or the word acts, but our word is ergon. And it's the root word of organizomai. And so ergon means that we produce something with our hands. It's an act. It's a deed. It's art. And I said in the beginning, true Christianity is almost like an art. It requires the poets to do their work. Imagine creating the ultimate. Imagine if Shakespeare created like a, an awesome poem but never wrote it down. Being a, a Christian requires requires some work. There's things that we have to do when the Lord tells us to do it. In this perfect law of liberty, 
it, it tells me this. After salvation, is, after I'm saved and I'm truly born again, I can understand the word of God. God opens our hearts so we can actually understand the word of God. But it also says that I can also resist or dispute the word of God. And, and we want to be in the posture where we're not resisting and disputing. Because what happens? We, by nature, just put up these huge walls, these defensive walls. Just got a, a wall of defense, and, I, and I've got it set here. But what we need to do is ask the Lord, God, can you help shape me to get past this defense mechanism that I have, this resistance? I don't want to do what you're telling me to do, but can you help me? Can you speak to my heart? I've been saved since 1997. And I promise, I promise that God has not stopped speaking to me since. He's not stopped speaking that Logos word, that, that speech and that narrative and that direction and the doctrine and the teaching and the instructions. But that doesn't mean that since I got saved in 1997 that I'm listening to God. I'm resisting. He's telling me to do things I don't want to do. He's trying to get me to go places I don't want to go, share things, I give up my money, I got these things. He is telling me, but, but that doesn't mean that I'm listening. But I promise he is speaking we look back at that Romans 8, 6 verse. It says, when I set my mind on the things of the flesh, what happens? I lose peace. And then verse 7 says the same thing. When I set my mind on the things of the flesh, then what happens? I am hostile to God. So when the Lord says, Jeremiah, lay that thing down. Put that thing aside. That's coming between it's coming between me and you. If I choose not to do that, it just means that, that I'm not submitting to God. But what happens when I do submit to God? When I do what he asks me to do or he puts it in my heart, what happens? Look back at James 1 verse 25. The very last part of that verse. He will be blessed in his doing. So James is saying that, that that doing, that ergon, that works, that, that thing that God's telling me to do, if I'm meek and I receive that with meekness and I step out and I do what God tells me to do, he's saying right there that God is going to bless the doing. He's going to bless the work. He doesn't say he's going to bless me. He doesn't say I'm going to see the blessing. I might not even live to see it. Hebrews 12 talks about all these guys that never, never got to see the promise. But doing the work will be blessed. And doing the ergon work, it's not an option. It'd be really hard, again, to, 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 to try and be a poet without actually writing things down. So my challenge to us is to be in the Word, trust the Lord. When He's telling you to do something, you got to do it. And we as a, as a group of Christians in here, we got some work to do. And this, this part of the message, I'm not... I'm not talking to unbelievers right now. I'm talking to believers. I'm talking to born again, regenerated by the Spirit of God, followers of Christ. We have some work to do. Some of us, some of us walk around with this really, really rigid, uptight, legalist posture 
I can't, I can't be, I can't be talked to. I'm smarter than thou. They got the theology, they got all the knowledge, they got all this stuff, and, and they're hard to talk to. And then others of us are walking around like we're asleep. I, I don't, like the word of God's not even that important. I just come here because Kelly's awesome, and Kelly is awesome, I gotta tell you. She crushed my heart earlier. That song she did at the end just now, whew. But we got some work to do in here. And I want to ask, what is it that God is speaking to you right this minute? Is it something he's talking to you about just from the time you got up this morning till now? Or is it something he's been talking to you about for a week or a month or a few years? What is it that he's telling you to do right now? And will you bend your way to what his way is? Will you follow what he's telling you to do? 1 Samuel 15, 22 says it this way. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. Look, as Christians, we can't walk around with a scowl or a poo-poo face and try to encourage other people. It just it doesn't work. We can't walk around all rigid and uptight and a know-it-all who's not able to listen to the guy who's talking to them and then expect that this unbeliever is going to listen to us. We can't sit around and watch television all day or play video games all day and our wife is right there and needs our attention. We can't be, on, we can't be camped out in social media for hours when our husband's over here and he needs our attention. We can't take our kids when they're trying to talk to us and ignore them. What is it that God's telling you? What is it that the Logos, the Spirit of God, is working inside you right now? What is it that he's trying to tell you and, and all you got to do is just, you just got to bow to him and, and submit your posture to him. See, the Word of God acts like a mirror but it also acts like a school teacher. Romans 3.20 says that I recognize that I am dirty because of the law. Romans 7.7 says this, I didn't even know that I was under sin until I saw the law, until the law pointed out that I'm sinful. I didn't even know it. Galatians 3.19 says that we are led to Christ by the law. Hebrews 10 Verses 1 through 7 says that this entire book is about Jesus. It all points him in the direction of Jesus. It shows us who we are. It shows us who Jesus is. So I want you to imagine a big fancy mirror. Whatever that looks like in your mind, this big, really pretty mirror. The mirror does not clean your face. The mirror just points out the dirt. It's, it's Jesus that comes in and cleans your face, cleans your heart. It'd be cool if you cleaned my face too. But it'd be, like, it'd be like having this mirror on the wall and I'm shaving, I got shaving cream on, and then I'm, or I'm trying to wash my face and I look at it and then I grab the mirror and I'm trying to clean my face with the mirror. 
That, that's what Paul is saying here. It, the mirror doesn't clean you. It's Jesus Christ that cleanses you. The mirror just points out the dirt. The mirror points out the solution. It's Christ. Now, I want you to imagine the mirror of ancient times, the ones that I've got to talk about twice now. It, back then, it was this chunk of metal that they had to polish like every day. They had to polish it. And most of the time, these mirrors were so heavy, they couldn't sit uh, on the wall. You couldn't hang them. So what they do, they put them on a table. And what they had to do is, when they came up, they had to study their reflection in the mirror. They had to, to bend their posture over and look at their reflection in the mirror. They had to study it, because if they didn't study it, they'd walk away. Oh, man, I got... And they'd forget what was on their face. They forget that they were whatever it was they were working on. A house full of girls, I can't imagine them fighting over the mirror on the table to do their makeup. It's my turn, my turn. Everybody's just trying to get in there. And... But they had to study it. They couldn't just gaze at it and then walk away. They had to study it and be in it because when they walked away, they would forget what it looked like. And in my house, we got a mirror in the bathroom, we got a mirror in the bedroom, one in the hallway. We got one as you're walking out. You can get that last pose. <laughs> like, I just, the, the mirror is what points out what the problem is, but that's not what fixes. The problem is fixed by Jesus. Now, this entire message, I, I went through this thing at least seven or eight different times asking the Lord, what do you, what do you want me to teach these guys? Because there's a lot we can talk about. We went through Matthew 15 earlier. We could have hit... Hebrews 12, that, that, that really lays out what defiles us. We could have spent the whole message talking about that, what defiles us. I, went, I started to go down a, a rabbit trail of the, the 21 references in Scripture of filthy, unclean spirits that attach themselves to us. We could have gone that route. There's all kinds of ways we could have gone with this, this filth, but the Lord kept showing me we need to, to encourage the people to respond to the word of God. They hear the word of God, they receive the word of God with meekness, and then they respond to the word of God. And it's all about our posture. It's all about how we hold ourselves. I'm going to do a little bit of word trivia before we get out of here. If you look at uh, verses 23 and verse 24 and verse 25, it says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently. Remember that. Verse 24, for he looks at himself. And then verse 25 says, but the one who looks into the perfect law. Now, in English, that one word was used all three times, looks. It's interesting that the first two mentions in verse 23 and 24 is a Greek word, katana yo. And I had to practice that to say it, katana yo. But it means to perceive. It means to remark. It means to observe. It means to fix your eyes upon. So that's what, that's what Paul is saying, or James is saying here. If anyone fixes their eyes upon them, if anyone looks intently at, at their face and they consider it. But verse 25 is a different one. The word looks in verse 25 is the Greek word parakipto. And the definition for parakipto is this, to stoop to a thing in order to look at it. 
to look at it with your head bowed forward, to look into it with your body bent, to stoop and to look into it and to inspect curiously. What if we slowed down as Christians, like really slowed things down and got into our word like that? What if we studied it? I'm clearing off my my table. I'm clearing all my distractions and I'm in this word curiously inspecting it. It's all about our posture. We need to receive the word with humility, receive the word with this bending of our spirit that we can listen to God. And so today we saw that James gave us three things to do. Lay aside the filthiness, receive the implanted word, and then respond or do the implanted word. And these, again, are never very easy or fun things to do, but it's all about our posture. It's all about how we bend to the Lord. And we have to be willing to do the work. We have to be willing to do the ergon, the labor, the work, the art. This is my last word trivia, and then I'm out of here. Do you know that our English word ergonomics comes from ergon? The definition for ergonomics is this. It's an applied science that's concerned with designing and arranging things so that people and things interact most efficiently and safely. So the title of this word is to respond to the word of God. And so when we respond to the word of God, what are we doing? We're ergoning it. We're taking people and we're taking things and we're putting them together. The the men got together last night and helped out one of the church members here who hasn't had power for eight days. And the church member told me that those, those dudes, that there was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of damage. Those guys in that one day were literally able to cut at least half of that thousands. I think it was like $12,000 or something, whatever it was. But that's the science. You're taking people and you're taking things. And you're taking the word of God and God's telling you, go, do, ergon, be a part of this. Don't be a person that hears a word and then forgets the word. Look, every one of us can and should be a doer and a responder of the word of God by simply just bending, bending to his will. James 1, 21 through 25 says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in what he does. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.